So the Lord be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us, your gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I pray today that our hearts would be illumined, that you would speak to each and every one of us, and you would, uh, Lord, make a clear call to our hearts today. Lord, clear out any interference that we may have. Um, Help us to listen now. Tune our ears into your frequencies. Open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, today is Easter Sunday, um, which is probably... I hope hope the readings weren't a spoiler alert for you guys. Like, I hope most people know what this uh, holiday is about, uh, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Um, It began... How many of you guys were worshiping with us on Ash Wednesday. We did a joint service with All Souls and uh, with the, okay, so yeah, some of us, uh, with the Vineyard uh, on Ash Wednesday, which was uh, this, the, the beginning of Lent, which is a journey of 40 days uh, minus the Sundays. It's kind of complicated math. But uh, 40 days minus the Sundays uh, that leads up to Holy Week, which was last week, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, where we commemorate Jesus' last uh, supper with his disciples. Good Friday, of course, where we commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus. Holy Saturday, where we remember that he rested in the ground, and now we're here, Easter Sunday, this new season uh, that we celebrate. Uh, But it's easy for Easter in the midst of the bunnies and the... Randy almost dressed up as a bunny. He told me he was going to. He threatened Randy threatened to dress up as a bunny. But in the midst of the eggs, you know, the Easter egg hunts and the pastel colors and family dinners we're probably doing later and the ham, there's always a ham, right? Um, And and the springtime, the weather is is beautiful. We're indoors today because we got a little bit spooked by the the radar uh, that seemed to indicate maybe right at the end of our service we'd get uh, drenched. So we're we're inside today. Um, But in the midst of all of that stuff, all of that kind of cultural... Uh, extra stuff that gets uh, placed on top of Easter. It's, it's sometimes difficult to remember what this is all about. So kids, though, like we, like we ask this of the kids. So if you're a kid in here, raise your hand. Okay. What is Easter all about? Does anybody know? What, Deacon? Yeah. Oh, Yes, okay. So Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead, and you put a little interpretation on that as well, right? Um, which is, that's what we do, right? It was like, because that's the question I want to ask today, is like, Jesus rose from the dead, we celebrate that, right? But why? And what, what's the big deal, right? A man coming back from the dead, like all by itself, is like maybe a weird carnival sideshow, right? Come see the man who came back from the dead. It's like zombie stuff. It could be that. Um, But even if it's true, like, why does it matter? What's the big deal? Why do we celebrate this as the center of the Christian faith? Or sometimes it kind of feels like an awkward, like, happy ending that gets tacked on to the real story, which is crucifixion, so Jesus paid this price, and so now we can have our sins forgiven, now we can go to heaven when we die. That's kind of like the main deal. And then there's this weird, like, oh, and yeah, he came back from the dead, too. But what does it matter? Why is this the big celebration that we have? As Christians, what, what is the deal with the resurrection? That's what we want to talk about today. Um, what happened on this day that we are reading about in our gospel reading, and how does it actually affect us today? Today, on Easter Sunday, we proclaim 
this good news, that in the very place of our disappointment, of our devastation, of our despair, Jesus surprises us with new life. He surprises us with resurrection. And he invites us to joyfully work with him in the cultivation of new creation. That's the good news we proclaim today. Four years ago this summer, uh, I moved my family 700 miles across the country to take a job. Um, I hoped it would be more than a job. It was an organization we were uh, coming, my wife and I both were going to work for this organization that was dedicated to changing the world by reforming the church. Um, and that really spoke to me. Uh, that there's, ever since I was young, I've had um, what we might call reformer tendencies, right? Um, which is a kind of a nice way to say it. There's there's other ways to say it um, that I've heard people say. I don't, I, we don't want to say those. But, but basically, I've been the kind of person that sees something that's wrong and thinks, it's probably my job to fix that. Yeah? I don't know if any good, anybody can relate. But I've had these reformer tendencies, and I've, I've wanted to be part of something great. I've wanted to uh, be part of a community or a movement that's really changing things, that's doing something significant, that's doing something important, something that matters. That's probably why I started a punk rock band when I was in high school. Uh, true story. Uh, and it's probably why I got into ministry in the first place, honestly. Um, it felt like something significant, something important I could be involved in that was going to change the world, that was going to do some good in the world. It's why I planted my first church. Um, it's always been with me, this, this, this hunger to be part of something like that. And that, that was part of, part of my motivation to move my family across the country um, it was motivated by that desire. We were going to reform the church. Needs reform, doesn't it? Anybody who's looked at the church, anybody who's been a Christian for about four or five seconds knows the church needs reform, right? And then you realize, oh, wow, I'm part of the church. Anyway, that's another story. But this hunger to do something revolutionary, this hunger to be part of something that mattered, that's what, that's what drew me. When we arrived, though, it became apparent that the truth was a long ways from the ideal that I had set up in my mind. And of course it was. It always is. Community is always way messier than you think it's going to be. Um, but this community had, uh, in addition to the problems a normal community had, it also had some fatal problems. We'd only been there a year when it started falling apart. Um, eventually, a whole collection of cascading issues began to pile up that eventually resulted in the collapse of the community. Um, but while this began, I remember it was, it was a year in um, that summer. I remember while it began, I still was trying to think the best. Well, maybe things will work out, or maybe I'm not seeing the whole picture here. Or trying to keep an open mind, because after all, my dream was at stake here. My dream of being part of, well, this can't fall apart. I need, I, need, I need this. I need this not to fall apart. But almost exactly 15 months after we arrived, I remember my boss sitting down with me in my office after morning prayer and saying, I'm sorry, I thought I was going to be able to keep you on until the end of the year, but I just can't make it work. This is the last month I can pay you. And I remember sitting there and realizing, okay, it's over. Like, it's, it's over. Like, my, all the hopes and dreams I had attached to this community, this movement, this thing I was going to be doing, I realized, okay, this isn't going to happen. Um, so I sort of swat, and you can imagine the flood of emotions, right, that come, like, there's anger, there's confusion, there's sadness, 
Uh, but I, in the moment, I stuffed all those down. I'm pretty good at that. Uh, I stuffed all those down, and I just said, okay, I get it. Thanks for letting me know. And that was it. In the end, almost everyone was fired. The community scattered to find employment and belonging uh, in other places. So my big dreams of changing the world were coming crashing down around me. And now I was an unemployed guy with four kids and a wife with a house payment due in one month. And so I had to grapple with that. So my dream was dead, and it was more quickly than I could have imagined. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do next. I was confused. I was angry, disillusioned, and a little depressed. So that's my story. I don't know if any of you guys can relate. Uh, maybe you haven't moved your family 700 miles across the country, but maybe you thought your career was going to go up and to the right, uh, but now you got downsized, and it's not working out the way that you thought it was, and your sense of purpose and identity is being challenged every single day you can't find a job. Maybe you had great friends, kids, in elementary school, but now that you're in junior high, uh, the only people you can find to hang out with are petty and they're mean, they talk behind your back and you're lonely, and you wish it was like it was before. And you wonder if there's something wrong with you. Maybe you hoped you'd be able to give your kids, parents, you hoped you'd be able to give your kids everything they needed. You wanted to just provide for them and, and, uh, and cultivate this great relationship with them, but now they're 13 and yelling, I hate you, as they stomp out the door to go to school. And you think, what, ha like, what happened? What happened to my dream of having this nice little family? What happened? Maybe you moved because you took that job because it was going to be a great career move and you're making more money, but now you work 80 hours a week and you never see your family. Or maybe you just have a vague sense of disappointment with your life. I don't know. Maybe you don't, but maybe you do. Maybe there's a sense of like, I just thought I'd be further along by now. I just thought I'd be further along in my career. I thought I'd be making more money. I thought I wouldn't be struggling in the same ways that I used to struggle. We have these dreams, don't we? We have these ideals. We have these expectations that we set up in our minds and we think, if only I could get this, then salvation would come. Then life would happen. Then I could find fulfillment. If only this, then, then it would happen. We all have these things. Some of them are big dreams, moving your country, moving your family 700 miles across the country. Some of them are little things like, I just want my kids to have what I had growing up. Or... I just want my kids to not have what I had growing up. Whatever it might be, we have these little dreams that we set out in front of us as that's going to be what does it for me. Can I get a witness? Do you know what that is for you? Just hold that in your mind because that's exactly what Mary and the disciples were going through in this passage. See, this, like the crucifixion of Jesus was more than just a death of a friend which is hard enough if anybody's had anybody close to them die. That's hard enough. But this was more than that for them. Um, this Mary Magdalene who comes to the tomb, she had experienced Jesus' ministry. Earlier in the Gospels, it says that she had had seven demons cast out of her. So she had experienced this man had brought deliverance when nobody else could. And she actually traveled with him and his disciples, which is unheard of in the ancient world for a woman to travel with you know, a bunch of men and she supported Jesus out of her own means. So part of Jesus' support came from Mary Magdalene. This was a woman who was a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Fiercely dedicated to him 
incredible devotion to Jesus. And so the crucifixion of Jesus for her and for the disciples was the crumbling of everything they'd built their life on for the past three years. They thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah. And that means anointed one. It means the king, specially empowered by Yahweh to lead the holy remnant of God's people into victory against the pagan overlords. That's what they hoped for in Jesus. They thought that's what Jesus was going to do. If I could say it this way, they hoped Jesus was going to make Israel great again. That's what they hoped. They'd pin their hopes on Jesus, bringing Israel back into the glory days. And they'd gone all in on this. Mary was supporting him. The disciples had left their careers. And the cross was the final devastation of that dream. It was over. That was the cross was how Rome said, you think you're, you think you're in charge? We're in charge. And if you get too uppity, we'll show you how this ends. It was Rome's way of brutally crushing any hint of rebellion, anything that would disrupt their peace, I put in quotes. So this was the final devastation of that dream for the disciples. They're devastated, they're confused, they're uh, grieving. They had, we had hoped he was going to be the one, but he wasn't. Crucifixion is what happens to failed messiahs. Jesus was only halfway prepared for burial. They had to get him off the cross quickly because the Sabbath was coming. And um, so uh, they put him in this tomb and they said, we'll, we'll finish it up after the Sabbath. The disciples and Mary and a bunch of other people spend the Sabbath. I don't know how, I don't know how they spent it, but they spend it how you do when you're confused and lost and not sure what you're going to do next. And so Mary, her last act of devotion was going to be coming to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. So she comes early in the morning. She finds the stone rolled away. But what does she think immediately? Ha, oh, he rose from the dead. Wonderful. I suspected that. <laughs> no, no. Right? She tells herself a different story. The only story she can conjure about, like, what's going on right now? She tells herself a story. <coughs> We always do this. We, we tell ourselves stories. When, when something happens that's confusing or upsetting to us, we tell ourselves a story about it. And so she tells herself a story. She says, well, I, uh, somebody, rolled away the, somebody rolled away the stone and they took Jesus' body. I don't know where they put him. She runs and tells the disciples, I don't know where they put him. The disciples come. They're like, I'm, I'm not sure. One of them seems to believe. It's also the one who wrote the gospel, so you never know. Just kidding. Um, but she tells the disciples, and then she tells these angels. She says, I don't know where they've put him. And then she finally tells Jesus himself, mistaking him for the gardener. Did you take him? If you took him, tell me where he's at so I can finally finish this final act of devotion that I wanted to give to him. And now I can't even do that because I don't know where he went. And in that moment, in Mary's final moment of just despair and devastation, everything she had hoped for was crashing in around her. That's the moment where Jesus reveals himself as the resurrected Lord by speaking her name, by saying Mary. She recognizes him, runs to him, gives him a bear hug, apparently, because Jesus says, don't stop clinging to me. We'll talk about that, why he says that here in a moment. And everything changes in that moment. In that moment of despair, that's where everything changes. In the darkest hour, Mary and so today on Easter Sunday, we proclaim the good news that in the very place of our devastation and despair, Jesus surprises us with something new, with something we didn't expect, with resurrection. And honestly, at first, it's a little bewildering. 
it's a little bewildering at first. Because resurrection was a completely unexpected turn of events. Even though Jesus said, I'm going to be raised on the third day, the disciples just assumed he meant, well, yeah, it's the resurrection we all believe in at the end of history when God changes over into the new age. We get it. Yeah, we'll all rise with you. It's fine. You know, we'll, you'll be raised. Jesus being raised in the middle of history, ahead of time, was completely unheard of. Nobody was expecting this. There were no like ancient prophecies. There were no small little uh, groups that were saying, oh, well, perhaps the Messiah will be raised from the dead ahead of time and the ages are actually going to overlap. No, nobody guessed this. This was completely surprising. And that's the thing about resurrection is that it, it, it means that God's new world has begun. It doesn't just mean your sins are forgiven, you can go to heaven when you die. It means that actually God's new world has begun. That's what happened in the resurrection of Christ. God's new world began. But the old world hasn't ended yet. But here's the thing that we want to embrace in the midst of our devastation, in the midst of our despair. Part of the good news of the resurrection for us is the good news that God's new world has begun. And that means it's a done deal. Nothing can stop this now. Like the train has left the station. It's over. It's happening. It's happening whether we want to get on board or not. But resurrection is happening. And it's happening right now. God's new world has begun. Leslie Newbigin was once asked, he was a, uh, a priest and a missionary uh, in the 60s in England, and he was once asked, you know, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic about the future of the church? And uh, I don't know if you guys ever feel that. I, I ask that question of myself a lot. Uh, usually after every Sunday, I'm, I'm one or the other, you know, depending on attendance or how I felt like the service went or how people responded. To, you know what I mean? I don't know, pastors, you can relate. Um, <laughs> You know, are you optimistic or pessimistic? But Leslie Newbigin learned to respond this way. And I, I want to learn how to respond this way as well. I believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Therefore, the question does not arise. I believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Therefore, the question does not arise. Amen? When it comes to facts, things that are true, you can't be pessimistic or optimistic about them. You can only be believing or unbelieving about them. And that's what Jesus invites us to do today, is to believe in resurrection. If it's true, well, that changes everything. That changes everything. So the resurrection is the beginning of God's new world. And today we proclaim this good news, that in the midst of our devastation and despair, our disappointment, God's new world has already begun. You'll notice Mary was disappointed and devastated even though God's new world had already begun. Why? She didn't know. She didn't know the story was true yet. She didn't understand that Jesus was alive. Such is the same, I think, for us. A lot of times we go through our lives thinking, well, that service didn't go very well. Or we go through our lives thinking, well, I got fired from that job again. We go through our lives thinking, this is sure disappointing. I'm not healed yet. And we get pessimistic, yeah? Not knowing, not realizing that God's new world has begun. That resurrection is already underway. So that's the first thing about resurrection for us to embrace and understand. It means it's the beginning of God's new world. The second thing is this, uh, that resurrection happens in the very place of devastation and despair. It doesn't, ha it doesn't skirt around that issue. It doesn't say, oh, uh, uh, forget about that. Here's something. It, 
right in the midst of Mary's devastation and despair, Jesus comes to her. And notice the question. The question is part of the beauty of this interaction. Jesus asks her. She's crying, right? Even though he's been raised from the dead, she's crying because she doesn't understand and she's grieving. And what does Jesus say? Woman, why are you crying? And we shouldn't read that as a scolding. Jesus wasn't scolding her, saying, I'm raised from the dead. You shouldn't be sad anymore. Cut it out, right? No, he honors her grief by saying, tell me about why you're crying. Talk to me about where you're at. Bring me where you're really at. Bring it to me. I want to hear. I want to know. You'll notice he does this in the, in, the, in the Gospels throughout his resurrection appearances. He wants to know where you're at. He's walking with the two disciples along the road who are, again, crushed and devastated, their hopes and dreams gone. And he says, why are you guys, what are you guys talking about? Bring me into the, bring me into the conversation. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's inviting Mary. She's overwhelmed with grief and he's inviting Mary to say, be real about that with me. And that's the place in which he says Mary and resurrection begins. We're often in the same boat. Something bad happens. We tell ourselves a story about it. Most of the time it isn't true. But Jesus invites us to be real about it with him. To say, hey, talk to me about that. There's so much more we could say here. This, this being the first day of the week, John is narrating a new creation narrative. It happens in the garden where everything, where Adam and Eve lost everything in the garden. Now Jesus starts everything in the garden. The new Adam, the faithful Adam who starts everything in a garden. In the very place of our devastation and despair, that's where resurrection comes. We don't get to resurrection by avoiding what we're sad about. We get to resurrection by diving into the sadness, by going with Jesus to the cross, by entering into the devastation, trusting that resurrection is on the other side. Today we proclaim the good news that in the very place of our devastation and despair, Jesus surprises us with something new. Resurrection, and he invites us to work with him in the cultivation of new creation. And that's the third and final thing um, about resurrection for us to know and embrace today. Um, is that resurrection comes to us as an invitation to participate as witnesses. Not, as, not to consume, not just to receive, but to participate. And so it's remarkable in the Gospels how many times uh, these resurrection appearances end with a command, right? End with, in, with Jesus saying, don't hold on to me, but go and tell my brothers. What's Jesus doing here? He, he's, he's not saying like, I've got touching issues, right? He's not saying that. He's saying, uh, Mary, I know you're overjoyed to see me again. But listen, it's not going to be like it was before. You don't get me back. It's not going to be like that again. It's not your old dream come back to life. This is a new dream. It's not your old dream come back to life. Jesus says, don't hold on to me because me, this physical in your presence uh, thing that I've got going with you, <laughs> that's changing. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You'll figure it out later. But right now, don't hold on to me. And then what does he do? He commissions her personally. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers. And this is what he does throughout the Gospels. As people embrace resurrection life, as they see Jesus risen from the dead, Jesus gives them a job immediately. He says, you know what? I am raised from the dead. God's new world has begun, and you've got a part to play. 
It's remarkable that God doesn't want to do this without us. He invites us to do it with him. And the best thing about this is that we get to do it as witnesses, not experts. Mary didn't have an atonement theory to go and share with the disciples. She had no understanding of the dual nature of Christ, right? She didn't have any understanding of what this meant. What did she have? She had an experience, and that's what she reported. I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. It'll take the church hundreds of years to figure out what this means, right? The resurrection of Jesus. But how does the gospel spread in the meantime? Not through experts, not through people who know things, but through people who've seen things, people who've had experiences. And so resurrection comes to us in the midst of our devastation and despair. And it comes to us personally. It's remarkable how many of these encounters were personal. Jesus doesn't get raised from the dead and take out a press release, right? He doesn't go to Herod's palace and say, what's up now? Right? I mean, I think I would be tempted, these people that beat me and, you know, say like, well, told you. No, who does he appear to? He appears to Mary. And then the disciples and two people on a road. 500 people or so. That's who he appeared to. People. He doesn't broadcast the news. He talks to people. He talks to people. He has conversations. And he invites people to then participate as witnesses. So Easter is a commission. The good news is that God's new world has begun and we all have a part to play. It's a commission that in the midst of our devastation and despair, the old dreams that died, the things that we had attached our hopes and dreams to that we realize are starting to crumble around us. Jesus says, those things were never gonna save you anyway. Come be part of the thing I'm doing. Resurrection, it starts now. You don't have to wait till heaven. It starts now. And you get to play a part. And all you have to do is talk about what you've seen. Just be my witnesses. Just proclaim the good news. I've seen the Lord. That's how God changes the world. Through witnesses. So how do we respond to this? We want to respond to this good news. Is it good news for us today? Amen? Jesus Christ is risen. And that means God's new world has begun. And we have a part to play. Uh, I read about a parable one time about uh, a story about the man who invented fire. The man who invented fire went to a village and showed them how to use fire. He said, here, look, here's how you cultivate fire, and here's some things you can do with it. And the villagers thought, this is amazing, fire, uh, we love fire, this is great. And they start to learn how to do things with it, right? They keep warm, they keep them safe, they start to build things, they start to melt iron down and shape it, and they, right, they have the, they, the, the new life comes to their village because they believe the man who... Uh, who brought them fire. Now, the man who uh, invented fire then went on to another village. Quietly, he snuck away in the nighttime because he wasn't all that interested in being kind of venerated, but that's what they wanted to do, but they lost track of him. They, they weren't sure where he went. He went to the next village, and he showed them how to use fire, and they, again, were starting to very eagerly uh, uh, look at the implications of this and say, wow, this is incredible, all this stuff we can do with fire. And uh, Jesus uh, sorry, not Jesus, but the man who invented fire um, was starting to do this among these people. The priests of this town, though, got jealous. The priests of this town got jealous uh, because this man was uh, beginning to gain popularity over them, and they thought, we're going to lose our place and our standing among the people, so they poisoned him. They poisoned the man who invented fire. 
Now the people got wind of this and they started grumbling and they started suspecting that the priests had poisoned the man who invented fire. So the priests, they were very clever. Priests are very clever. And uh, the priests said this. They said, you know what we'll do is we will set up a shrine. We're going to put a picture of the man who invented fire up here. We're going to put some pretty lights around it, put some flowers around it. We're going to set up a place for us to venerate this man who brought us fire. And that satisfied the people, and they said, okay, this sounds good. We, we want to honor the man who brought us fire. They stopped actually using fire, but every week, faithfully, they venerated the man who brought fire. I want to suggest that we should respond like the first village and not like the second village. That Jesus, in his bringing of resurrection life, part of the way that we honor him for that is we live the resurrection life. We don't just thank him for bringing it. We live it. That's how we honor him. And so I want to encourage us to live into this resurrection life today. Part of the way that I'm doing this, you know, in the midst of um, the story I told earlier, is I'm getting real about how this affected me. I think I went into survival mode, and now I'm getting real about it, starting to talk about it, being real about my sadness and my grief. And I would invite you to do the same wherever you're feeling uh, that sadness and grief. And then I'd also invite you to practice resurrection. The church that we're planting the table is kind of a new creation reality that came out of some of these places of devastation. And so for us, gathering to worship on a Sunday morning is, a practi- is practicing resurrection. We're practicing this together. When we gather in discipleship groups, we're practicing resurrection. When we gather around a table to share in our neighborhoods, we're practicing resurrection together. Another thing you might think about, another way that you could respond, if Lent is about fasting and abstinence and removing something from your life, maybe Easter should be about taking something on, a new hobby. Learn the instrument you've always wanted to learn. Cultivate beauty, cultivate new creation. Jesus is inviting us into that. I want want us to pray together. Uh, as a response. Um, I'll just invite you to um, close your eyes, if you would. Um, And uh, think about what it is for you. Where is the place of devastation, of disappointment? Where's that place uh, of darkness that you don't want to go? What's that thing that you attach to your hopes and dreams to that feels like it's crumbling around you? Lord, we bring these things to you in our disappointment, Lord. Trusting that you'll bring resurrection as we listen for your voice. So speak to us, Lord. Speak to us.